Micah chapter 7 and verse number 8. How many of you have ever, uh, in your prayer or in your living, uh, you have said this verse? Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Anybody here not ever use that verse in your life? I don't know of anybody. If you've ever been, if you've lived for God at any length of time, I don't know anybody that hasn't had to rely on that verse before. And I love it. I love to preach about it. But I discovered something uh, this past week ago uh, that I had been missing out on. And that's the way it is when you get your favorite scripture and that's all you see. You, you sometimes don't look at the, the big picture. And so I was challenged to look at the bigger picture. And when I did, I found the reason why... This man could say, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And so I want to direct your attention in particular to the seventh verse. Most of you probably haven't read the seventh verse of Micah 7, but maybe after tonight you will. And it reads like this. Therefore... I will look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. Amen. Everybody say that last with me. My God will hear me. Amen. Let me read it again. Therefore. I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Amen. I want to read it from the New uh, International Version just to give you a, a little different flavor. He said, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord, and I wait for God my Savior, my God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, mine enemy, though I have fallen, I shall arise, and though I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Amen. God will hear me. I want to talk to you about that sweet consolation tonight. That God will hear me. If you survey the human race or just look around in this building tonight, you will find that among us there are numerous differences. We differ not only in our physical appearance, we differ not only in our stature or our speech or the way that we talk or our particular vernacular, but more than that, we differ in our taste, 
we differ in our uh, preferences, we differ in our style, we differ in our predilection, our predisposition about how life is lived, and we, we differ in our leanings. But in spite of all of our differences, there is one great resemblance among us all. And that resemblance is that we are all in need. We are all in need. We are all a needy people. We all have needs of some kind. Some are greater than others, but they are still needs. Man is a creature that requires help. And the sooner you figure that out, the better off you are. And as smart as we are, and as intelligent as our world has become, and as brilliant as our learned men are, we still cannot find a way to work out all of our problems. We still cannot find a way to solve all of life's mysteries. There are a lot of questions and there are a lot of uncertainties that we all face in life. And there are many things about life that are hard to understand. And as smart as we are, we are still stymied and we are still stalemated at times because we cannot solve all of life's problems and we cannot resolve all of life's mysteries and we cannot fix all of life's difficulties. We cannot do what we would like to do, and that is find an answer to our troubles. But our text tonight gives me a response, and it gives me an encouragement, and it is certainly a wonderful consolation that I need to pay close attention to, and I I certainly need to imitate, if at all possible. These are the words of a man who is extremely saddened and vexed and perplexed by the situation of himself and his people. As a matter of fact, if you read verse 1 down through verse number 6 in another translation other than the King James that puts it more in our, our English vernacular, you'll hear him say things like, how miserable I am. He said, I feel like a fruit picker after the harvest has been found or gathered and there is nothing left in the field. He said, I am sore distressed. I am I'm troubled. He said, I am overwhelmed with sorrow and I sink in a swamp of despair. He said, the reason that I am feeling this way is because I don't know anybody that's doing right. I, everywhere I look, he said, the godly people have all disappeared. There are no longer any good people. 
that live. Everybody uh, is dishonest. No honest people live on the earth. And no decent person can be found in, in sight. And no right living uh, human. He said they have become extinct. And then he goes on in verse 3 to say that, that we, we become ambidextrous in our ability to do wrong. Whether it's with the right hand or the left hand. He said, everywhere I look, people are doing evil. And we are equally skilled, whether it's on the right or the left side. It doesn't matter. We have become gifted in going against what God wishes and wills for our life. He looks around at the world in which he lives and he sees all of these things coming. And, 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 and he doesn't have an adequate response to it. He said, I'm overwhelmed. He said, I've come to the place that I don't trust anybody. Verse number 5 in the New Living Translation, he said, don't trust anybody. Not even your best friend or your wife. That's how bad things had gotten in, in his world. For the son despises his father. The daughter defies her mother. The daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your own household. And that leads us up to verse number 7. Quite a, 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 a difficult picture and one that is not uh, encouraging at all. Life to him seemed to have been overpowered by all that was wrong and everything that was uh, lacking in his people and in himself. And he was so overwhelmed that even it seemed his own faith, his faith in people... His faith in, in, in the fact that things would no doubt eventually get better. It had been shaken. And when he looked around at society and he saw the downward plunge and he saw the duplicity and the unrighteousness and the selfishness and, and the deceitfulness and the overwhelming carnality of people, he, he, was, he was just overwhelmed. He was taken back. Everything in his world and the world of his people had been shaken. And here is a man who stands in need of some help. And I don't know how it came. I don't know what transpired. But I do know this. That from verse number 6 to verse number 7, there is a completely different man speaking when you listen to what he said in verse 1 through 6 and you see the sadness and you hear the sorrow and you feel the misery and you look at the fruitlessness and you see the futility and the frustration and it all is mounting up before him and, and then he comes to verse number 7 and there is a complete turnaround. Throw that verse back up on the screen if you would. In verse 7 there is a complete change of mind and texture as he makes a statement. He said, therefore... I will look unto the Lord. I love the Word. And I, in particular, love words. I, I love to study words. I like to study the etymology of words. But what I really like to do when I'm reading Scripture is pay close attention to those words that we usually read over real quick like. Like but or and or Therefore, or nevertheless, we want to get on to the meat of the matter. 
but the truth is something happened to Micah that changed his mind and changed his attitude and changed his feelings about the whole situation. And he said, therefore, weighing all of this out, trying to come to grips with what was happening in his life, he said, therefore, I will look unto the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation because my God will hear me. Everybody say, He will hear me. He will hear me. What sustains a man through times of trouble is worth discovering and understanding. What holds a man up and buoys his soul when the storm of life are raging around him and life, so to speak, is out of control is worth paying attention to. And what I want you to note is the declaration of the man and then the progression of his thoughts and the progression of his attitude and his feelings as he works his way through this dismal situation. And it begins with that word, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. Therefore. The writer turned away from something to something else. He had been looking in one way. He had been seeing things in a certain light. He had been responding to things in a certain way. He had been reacting to situations in a certain way. And something happened. Something changed his mind. Something transformed his thinking. And so he turns away from that. And he says, there. I was going one way, but now I'm going another. He quit looking at all of the other places. And he turned away from everything else. And he focuses his eyes on one thing. Therefore, he said, I will look. Everybody say, I will look. He gives me, and this is the first point I want you to write down if you're taking a note. He gives us the direction of his life. He gives us the direction, and that is telling. The direction of my life and the direction that your life is facing will determine the outcome of your life. And he had been looking a certain way. He had been looking at life a certain way. He had been looking at his problems a certain way. He had been looking at what was going wrong a certain way. And something happened that turned him around and he began moving in a different direction and he moved in the direction of his look and his look was toward the Lord. He lifted his eyes up. He lifted his thoughts up. He lifted his feelings up off of the plane of the human and he looked up to God and he found there a direction that was worth following in times of trouble and he gives me his direction the leanings the inclination the look of his heart that's the path that my body will ultimately follow anybody ever driven down the road and looked back over your shoulder you're going this way but you're looking that way anybody ever done that 
How many of you have stayed on course? Now, I used to think my dad was a, he was a genius at that because he could drive and look all over the place. But I got to noticing as I got older, he wasn't quite as good as I thought he was. Because there is a, there is a natural inclination. I don't care how fast you're driving. I don't care how steady you keep your hand. When you turn your head to look another direction, your body and its natural movements begin to turn in that same direction because your body is going to follow the direction that you're looking. Your mind is going to follow the direction that you're looking. And if you're looking at life right now and you're seeing everything that's wrong and nothing's working out and you can't trust anybody and you can't depend on anybody and nobody loves me and nobody cares, if that's how I look at life, that's the direction my life is going to go. And the psalmist or or, or the writer Micah said, I have determined the direction of my life. I have determined what I am going to be looking to. There were no doubt in my mind competing interests for his attention. There is no doubt in my mind that there were distractions. There were little demons and little spirits and, and little things that would jump up and say, Over here, Micah. And another one would jump up and say, Over here, Micah. And another one would say, But oh, don't forget about me, Micah. And another one over here would say, Oh, but remember me, Micah. And another one over here. I have no doubt that that was going on in Micah's life because that's what goes on in my life. Every time I try to get my focus... And every time I try to get my eyes on him, everything in the world begins to cry out. There's a thing over here that demands my attention. Then there's a thing over here. And there's something else that said, oh, don't forget me. And then there's a problem back over here that said, oh, you can't leave me out. And, and Micah determined that living like that wasn't getting him anywhere. Living like that wasn't helping him. And so he set his gaze. He determined to look to God. The word look is interesting because it indicates a fixed gaze. Not just a glance. That's, that's a different word in the Hebrew. You just kind of look and, and pass on. When, you, when this word is used, it means a fixed gaze. You, you don't just glance, you keep looking. You don't just look once, you continue in that same direction. And that's the word. There was a certainty about it. There was a certain determination about this man now. There was a steadfastness about him. There was a resoluteness about him. There was a confidence about him. There was an assurance about him. Because he had found direction. He had found a direction that was worth following. He looked. He looked to the Lord for support. He looked to the Lord not necessarily for an explanation, but for understanding. You know, don't let that bother you. That's my granddaughter. I'm kind of liking it because I've had to put up with other kids doing that, so I get to enjoy mine doing that now. And I, I'm happy she's here. Amen. And I don't, want, I don't want any of our kids to ever feel out of place in the house of the Lord. Amen. But I... So many times when we go, when we're in situations like we find ourselves today, 
We, we want an explanation. We want to know why. We want God to give a reason. And we ask God, why? Anybody here not ever ask God why? <laughs> we want to, we just, there's just that natural inborn human nature. We want explanation, but we need more than an explanation. We need understanding. Because sometimes explanations only create more questions. But understanding gives you the wisdom to know how to live either with the problem or know that the problem is going to be solved in time to come. He looked for deliverance. There is no doubt in my mind. He looked to deliverance. And he shows us that you can look to the certainty not the uncertainty in life. And that is what makes life better. He quit looking at everything that was uncertain. The people that were around him. The problems that were around him. The troubles that were around him. All of the wrong that was around him. He quit looking to that uncertainty. And he started looking unto the Lord. He looked to him in his weakness. He looked to him in his confusion. He looked to him in his difficulty. He looked to him in his trouble. He looked to him in his adversity. And when he began to look to him. He determined that I'm going to wait on him as well. So number two, he tells me by, by this statement, I will wait for God or I will wait for the God of my salvation. He tells me the attitude of his life. Everybody say attitude. The attitude of his life. Attitude, by definition, is a position. It's an outlook. It's an approach. It's a mindset. It's, it's, it's my thoughts and, the, and the, the, the pattern of those thoughts. It's my stance in life. And, and the writer Micah, realizing that he wasn't getting anywhere by what he had been doing and he, had, he was not gaining any ground by running back and forth between all these competing interests and all the discouraging news and all the disheartening things. He focused his eyes. He got his face looking in the right direction. He got his eyes looking at the right thing. And then he, he, he pulled his attitude, his position, his outlook on life, his approach, the way he was going to live life. He began to change. I'm not going to lose my head. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to do something crazy. I, I'm not going to go to pieces. I, I'm not going to throw up my hands. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to call for Gus to cuss. I'm, I, I, I'm not going to live like that. I, I, I'm not giving in to those tendencies that I've given in to in the past because I have a new attitude. They used to have signs out. They don't have them anymore around some of these beer joints called five o'clock cocktail hour was called attitude adjustment time. Well, I want to tell you, there's no cocktail that can really, really correct your attitude the way it needs to be corrected. But the house of God can. The presence of the Lord can. When you get your eyes on the right thing, that can. Amen. And so he got his attitude focused in the right direction. And he said, I'm going to wait. 
My attitude through all of this is going to be one of hope, not hopelessness, and one of expectancy of good and not of evil. I, one translation said, I will wait expectantly for the God of my salvation. Whatever it costs, I don't care what anybody else does, no matter what anybody else says, I will wait for God. Amen. I will wait for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. I I will look to Him. I will expectantly anticipate that God is going to do something in my life. I'm going to begin living with hope. I'm going to begin living with faith again. I'm going to begin living with, uh, with, with a feeling that things are going to get better. Amen. Things are going to improve. Now, when you get those two things right, when you get direction right in your life, and you get headed in the right direction, in your thinking, in your acting, in your talking, in your feelings, in your emotions, when you get right in that direction and you get your attitude right, you can confidently say the next thing that this man said. He said, my God, I have no question, no doubt, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. One thing he was confident of, I may not know anything else, and I may not see where everything is headed, but I know where he is headed. He is headed to help me. He is headed to strengthen me. He is headed to deliver me. He is headed to give me the things that I need to make it through. And if you don't believe that, you read the rest of the book of Micah, And the entire attitude of the man changes as he anticipates this visitation from God. That God was going to hear his prayer. Amen. Sometimes, you know what? We don't need a new revelation. We don't need some new doctrine. We just need somebody to remind us of something we ought to already know. That God will hear us. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how evil it is. I don't care how discouraging it is. I don't care how disappointed you are. I don't care how how impossible it seems. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what psychologists say. All I know is what the Word tells me. And the Word tells me that He will hear If I didn't have anything else to live on, that's enough right there to live on. God will hear me. He will hear me. It's not a presumptuous confidence. He had evidence. And the evidence was found in the promises of God and in the experiences of his own life. Let me ask you something tonight. Has God ever failed anybody in this place tonight? Not one time. Not one time. When the oppressions of sin beat us down, and when our heart is distressed and troubled, 
And when our burdens become heavy and our conscience gnaws away at us and our convictions, they tear at our thoughts. And when we're wearied and distracted from the world and our fears overwhelm us, we need to hear the words of a man who was utterly confident. He will hear me. What a sweet consolation. What a word to know tonight that no matter what's going on, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. My God will hear me. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what? You need to expect God to help you. You need to expect Him to help you. Wonderful things happen. There is a change and there is a liberation in this man's life that moves him into a peace and a freedom because of the knowledge that he has been reminded of. And that same declaration can be the word of our own soul. It can be our own soul's aspiration. He is confident in what God is. God is good. God is merciful. God is faithful. God is righteous. God is loving. God is my Father. God is all sufficient. God is kind. But more than that, God is my salvation. That means from every, not just sin, but everything that would cause me to be lost. God is my salvation. Hallelujah. He said, I'll deliver you. I'll take you through. I'll see you through. He is confident in what God is. He is confident in what God will do. Oh, I got to share this with you. When I got to looking at this over the last few days, it just caused my mind to have a, 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 an eruption. My, my thoughts just went through the head. Abraham, Abraham's plea for a wicked city like Sodom and for his relative Lot who had gone into that city. Listen to the plea and the confident word of Abraham as he talked to God in Genesis 18.24. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do right. I said, God's going to do right. God. And that was what he said right before he began to bargain with God for the souls of that city. And he started out with 50 and he got down to 10 and God kept bargaining with him. Because he knew what God was willing to do. God will. He will hear me. He will hear me. He will hear me. Isaiah's assurance of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 42 and 4. He said, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. It was Moses' reminder to Israel at the border of the promised land. In Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 8. He said, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into 
the land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land. It is His parting reminder to Israel as they head into the promised land. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 5. He said, He, speaking of the Lord, will do thee good. Deuteronomy 31 and 6. He said, He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. He will hear me. He will hear me. He will hear me. He will hear me. I don't care how you fail. I don't care how miserable life is. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. When you humble yourself before the Lord and you get the direction of your life right and you get the attitude of your life right, He will hear you. He will. It was Hannah's, oh God, it was Hannah's spoken word over a once barren wound. Over, did you hear me? A once barren wound. It was her prophecy and her prayer over a once barren womb that had now given birth to a child, Samuel, in 1 Samuel verse or chapter 2. In verse number 9, she said, He will keep, I think it's verse 9, maybe verse 2, He will keep the feet of His saints. My God. He will keep the feet of His saints. I wonder why she said that. Don't you have an idea that maybe somewhere along the line of all those years of barrenness, all those years of not being able to have a child and wanting a child, she had wrestled with every kind of emotion you could wrestle with and every kind of fear and every kind of doubt and every kind of question, and she had almost slipped. Until one day God said, I heard your prayer. Like Daniel, he said, I heard it when you first prayed it. I've just been in a conflict getting the answer to you. And he said, I'm here now. And, and, and Hannah could speak over a barren womb, over a life that had almost caused her to slip, over failures and, and, and inabilities that had almost caused her to give up. She said, he will keep the feet of his saints. Amen. It was what Samuel spoke over God's people in 1 Samuel 3, 7 and 8. He said, He will deliver us. He will save us. He will appoint us. Did you hear me? God will appoint you. It was the pronouncement that David made over Goliath when he listened to the mockery of Goliath. As that Goliath of a man, that giant of a man, looked at this boy coming to fight a man. A scrawny kid, a teenager, coming across a brook with five stones and a slingshot. And, and, and Goliath, go read the story in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 17 and how, how Goliath ridiculed him and, and how he made fun of him. But I want you to hear the pronouncement of David over Goliath in chapter 17, verse 37, all the way down to verse 47. He said, he will deliver me and he will give you into my hands. He will give you into my hands. 
It was what a retreating David said when fleeing from Absalom's rebellion. And he was struggling with what to do with the ark of the Lord that had been brought with them to the edge of Jerusalem. He told Zadok the priest, he said, you take it back to the tabernacle. Take it back to the place where it belongs. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 25. He said, because he will bring me again. Goodness gracious. He will bring me again. It's what a dying David said to Solomon as he passed from the scene in 2 Chronicles 28 and 20. He said, He will be with thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee until you have finished the work. Amen. God's going to be with us. I like this in Nehemiah 2.19. It was Nehemiah's response to the taunts of his enemies, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. What a trio. As they mocked him and they ridiculed him and they laughed at him as he tried to inspire God's people to rebuild and to not be satisfied with a city in rubbish. And in chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, the Lord is going to prosper us. The Lord, you're not going to be able to stop us. Laugh at me, mock me, ridicule me, laugh at what we're doing. Tell me it won't stand up, but I've come to tell somebody, God will prosper us. God will prosper us. And God will arise and He will help us build what needs to be built. Can I give you some more? Am I boring anybody yet? In Psalms 145 and verse 9, it was the psalmist's assurance to those who have long awaited prayer's answer. And I read this today and my heart jumped out of my body when I read what God said. He, this is God speaking. He will fulfill the desire, not His desire, but your desire. God will fulfill The desire of them that fear Him. Oh my God. Help me to understand the Word. Help me to know what that Word says. It was was the comforting words of an unbelieving king called Darius over Daniel who was about to be thrown into the lion's den. A man who didn't even know whether he believed in Jehovah God. But he knew Daniel. And he knew how Daniel had lived. And he was regretting having made that declaration that he made. That everybody had to bow down. But he had to keep his word. And so he brings Daniel to the edge of the lion's den. And these are his parting words in Daniel 6 and 16. This is Darius speaking to Daniel. And Darius said he will deliver thee. Folks, even when the heathens know more about God sometimes than we know about Him. Darius said, Daniel, don't worry about it. God's going to deliver. And I could go on. 
Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee. Deuteronomy 7.13. He will love thee and bless thee. He will love thee. He will bless thee. And he will multiply thee. Can I give you more Proverbs 15.25? He will establish the borders of the widow. He will establish the boundaries of the widow. He will establish the, the lines. Joel 2.23. He will cause the rain to come down. You remember that portion of scripture? He said that God's going to restore the years that the caterpillar and the canker worm and all those other invading everything they had destroyed. God said, I'm going to restore it. But he said, not only am I going to restore it, I want you to understand something. I'm going to be the rainmaker in your life. God said, I'm going to be the rainmaker in your life. And no matter how barren it gets, no matter how dry it gets, just remember, it's not going to last forever. God's promise is, I will cause it to rain. Woo! Hallelujah! Praise God! I don't care how ugly it gets. I don't care how far away from God you seem tonight. I'm here to tell somebody, God said, I'm going to make it rain in your life again. He visits. This is what the scripture said. I didn't have time to give you all these. But the Bible said he will visit. He will establish. He will help. He will deliver. He will heal. He will bind up. He will raise up. He will guide. He will speak peace. He will regard the prayers. He will bless. He will swallow up that which intimidates us. He said I'll swallow up death. You need tonight, and I need tonight, to do what this man Micah did, and that was entrench yourself in God and in God's love and willingness to do good for you. In a God like that, whew, I don't mean casually regard him like a lot of people. I don't mean patronizing God. I mean, I don't mean play in church. I mean entrench yourself in God. You need to entrench yourself in him. Amen. Engulf yourself in him. He hears me as a listener. He hears me as a friend. He hears me as a judge to rule in my favor. You know what? That's... Most of the time when the Lord speaks of judging his people, you know, when we think about God judging us, we get scared. We think, oh, God, get down under the bench, hide, act like we're not, act like we're invisible. God doesn't even know we're here. He's... But when the word is used in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, but more especially in the Hebrew, when God speaks about judging his people, the connotation is that he is judging them so he can do them good. He's not judging them so he can tear them apart, rip them to shreds, 
show them all their faults and failures and show them how miserable they are and what a wretch and you're just a no good loaf of bread. He, that's not, he said, no, what I'm looking for is a way I can get in and help you. What I'm looking for is a way I can come down and bless you. What I'm wanting to know is how, and the psalmist said it and the writers of the Old Testament said it and Micah declared it. He will Hear me. He will be a judge in my life. And his judgment will not be for condemnation, but for blessing. Amen. Here's an encouragement to counterbalance any difficulty and any discouragement. Simple words. My God will hear me. Everybody say it with me. God will hear me. Words that will calm our fears, strengthen us in our struggles, and lift us when we're discouraged. And it will help us when we're hurt. Amen. Nobody else may be able to help you. And nobody else may listen, but God will. Amen. God will. Others may not care, but God does. And this, and I'm going to close. Stand with me. This is the significant truth. That I want you to bear in your mind. The same word in the Hebrew that signifies God hears. Also signifies that God answers. You know it would be one thing if all God had was hearing. He had no arms. He had no power, no strength, no ability. But he has all of it. He's the total package. He's the all in all. Amen. He's the sweet consolation. You may not have that tonight. You may not feel that confidence. You may feel overwhelmed. But I've come to drop a nugget in your heart from the word of God and tell you that he will hear you. He will hear you. He will. He will hear you. In a book called Expectation Corners, there's the story of a king who prepared a city for some of his proper people and some of his poorest subjects. Not far from where they lived, there was a large storehouse where everything that they could need was supplied. If they would but request One condition, one condition, not that they would request, but that after they requested, that they should be on the lookout for the answer. How many of us find ourselves asking but not looking? How many times... Have we come to God with all of our problems and we told him everything that was wrong and we get up and we go on living without looking. And so the, the request and the prerequisite of the king was you cannot just request it, but once you have requested it, you should be on the lookout for the answer so that when the king's messenger comes, he will always find you waiting And ready to receive his bounty to you. There was one sad story of one man who 
never did get that expectancy part. He got the asking part. He got the requesting part. But he never got the expectancy part. And so he comes to the end of his days and the king decides to take him on a little trip. And he takes him down the highway from where he lived to that storehouse. And he takes him into the storehouse and he takes him in particular to a room that has his name and his address. And he opens that door. And that room is full of every kind of imaginable blessing and thing that a person could desire. And the king said, I sent my messenger, but I never found anybody waiting. I never found anybody waiting. Amen. I wonder how many blessings are missed because we don't wait for them. We don't expect them. We don't look for them. Micah said, I want to help you. Before you can really say anything about an enemy not rejoicing over you, you've got to you you got to get your attitude right, and you've got to get direction in your life right. And when you do that, you can say, he's going to hear me. And when you say that, you can look the devil square in the eye. You can walk into his territory, and you can say, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light. Praise God. Let's lift our hands to Him right now. Hallelujah.